This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 664. And the quote of the day is, the first step towards change is awareness. The second step is acceptance. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 664, and thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, and I'm always curious if if this is the first episode you've ever listened to. So if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, hit me up at Drummer's Resource on Instagram or, or uh, at the Nick Ruffini on Twitter. I'm always just curious. I'm always curious uh, what brought people to the podcast and what episode was the first one. So, I mean, even if it's the 10th or 20th or 100th or 500th you've listened to, you can hit me up too. But I just want to know uh, if it's your first episode because I'm always curious, how did you get to the podcast? That's always interesting to me. Uh, anyway, got a great conversation today with Gregory Archery Jr. And we talk a lot about acceptance. We talk a lot about allowing things, uh, allowing things to happen naturally. We talk about approaches to playing and dealing with your failures and, and dealing with, uh, these, these limiting beliefs that we have and things. And Greg does a great job at articulating this, but not only talking about it, but talking about how he's worked through some of these things in real time on the bandstand, how he's developed this practice of allowance and acceptance and and dealing with uh, these these failures that we all make. And we all have this thing thinking that no one else makes mistakes, but we make all of these mistakes. But the reality is everyone makes mistakes. And it's the way that you deal with them uh, is really uh, what's important. So a great conversation. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Gregory Archery Jr. Greg, what's happening, my man? Everything. Nice to see your face. Nice to meet uh, you too. like this. And uh, I'm looking, looking, I've been looking forward to this, you know. Likewise. Mm. But, you know, I, I think it's important that, that we talk about this right from the jump that we got on and off air. You were saying you're, you were taking some time to yourself. You're at a spy. You're coming out and just uh, giving yourself some self-care. And I think that is so important for musicians to remember that we're we're more than just drummers we're humans we're you know we have we're mm. people with feelings and we have other things going on in in life and making sure that we're taking care of ourselves uh especially you know we we see the uh the the tragedies around the world of of musicians who don't take care of them i shouldn't say don't care, to, don't take care of themselves but um you know there's mental problems and 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 different things like that uh, because it's, the truth is it's lonely, you know, it's lonely on the road. It's, it's lonely as a musician. Um, so I take it, that's something that is, that's important to you and, and something that you, that you pay attention to is that, that self-care and, and making sure you're taking care of your mind, making sure you're taking care of your body. Absolutely. Um, I've run into a couple of walls myself. Uh, one here recently, uh, had some health issues going on and I know that it was, a lot it had a lot to do with just burning the candle from both ends you know there are a lot of expectations mm -hmm. that are placed on me 
And then there's a lot that I expect of myself. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I have to stop and give myself that priority to listen to my body or to, to be aware of what I'm doing, the amount of energy I'm putting out, you know, because it, the drums in particular is such a physical instrument that it takes a lot, you know, it takes a lot to just carry those things sometimes and set them up, let alone mm -hmm. to play them and to play them, you know, passionately or, you know, and uh, if you're doing that night after night after night, it causes some wear and tear on your frame. So I'd like to regularly make sure that I invest time, an equal amount of time, not just to make money, but just to set myself up so that I can enjoy what I do. You know, so mm -hmm. trips to the spa, you know, just time to read, time to relax, time to go to the beach or whatever, it, whatever it might look like, you know, mm -hmm. time with family. You know, that's that's all very important to me at this stage in life. So I give yeah. it priority, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's very important. One of the things that you just said that that made, that really stuck out to me is this idea of being being hard on yourself, expecting a lot from yourself, but also but also being kind to yourself and being forgiving of yourself. And I think that that's I think it's I think that's where a lot of people fall short sometimes where they're sure. they're too hard on themselves and they're not forgiving and they're not giving themselves the downtime or or the leeway to relax and and I know as an early and you may have felt some of this too but I know like early in my career I felt like if I wasn't playing drums or practicing or doing something with to, with my with my instrument every second of the day mm. that I was like letting the drum gods down or that I was no. you know I was uh not a real musician or, or something like that. Yeah, I resonate with that, you know, and there was a season of that, you know, there was a season yeah. where it was just like hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. Um, but I think that it, it has come to a point or at least it's turning the corner into a season of just respecting and appreciating my relationship with the instrument and with the music mm -hmm. and with the people that I share the music with, that I create the music with, where there's a trust there. Um, you know, like uh, in my recent uh, experience with being down or being ill, I couldn't really play for at least about a week and a half. You know, mm -hmm. I had to have to spend some time uh, just focusing on health. And that was practice in and of itself. You know, so when I returned to playing, I just I, I felt like I didn't lose a beat, you know, and that right. anxiety, that anxiety about having to perform or having to meet the expectations that I set for myself, um, really it helps like dispel them, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm always going to be able to play. I'm always going to be able to hold myself to a level of excellence because of the years spent in, in investing into the time. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate that, that I had that season where it was like every day, every waking moment, I'm going to spend as much time to get a relationship, but just like with a person, you know, you're in a mm -hmm. longstanding relationship at first, you're doing a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of asking questions or whatever. And after a while, it just kind of plateaus and it just becomes like an understanding or a knowing. And it's more about trusting in that knowing. So that's mm -hmm. where I feel like I'm, I'm entering into it. I appreciate that place. Yeah. And I, I'd say this a lot, but I think that there's a time earlier in your career where 
if if you really want to try and I, I say try because I think that's what we're all trying to do is if you if you're really trying to master this instrument and you really because we're never going to but we we're always trying to mm-hmm. uh but but I think that there has to be that that season of every waking moment where you're you know six seven eight hours a day where you're sure. just shedding 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 and after a while i think that you st- it starts to be diminishing returns too mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. that you know like i think that at this point in your career i just talked about this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and correct me if i'm wrong but i think that the further you get along in your career the less you need to practice six eight hours a day yeah i would agree and the more uh time goes on the more I realize what my specific issues may be and I can mm-hmm. pinpoint them and I can easily get to them because I'm a lot more transparent with myself. And it's not like I need to do a ton of playing in order to identify a problem. You know, it's like I right. see that I see the issue, what hand or what extremity that the issue is in. And I focus on it, you know, even then, then it gets back to the place of like, if I can do this for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes or an hour, then as long as I'm focused on this issue that I want to build and make stronger, then that uh, exponentially makes me feel more secure and in, in whatever mm-hmm. that is. And it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, just like being precise about applying the solve of practice, you know, and yeah. using it, using practice as, as a, as an ointment, you know, or as a remedy, as opposed to mm-hmm. like a blanket, you know, make me feel, yeah. I don't, I don't want to feel good about myself when I practice. I want to feel like, man, this is really, this is really challenging. This is difficult. And I really need to focus and work on it, you know, so that level of focus mm-hmm. is important now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You said that now, you know, it's easier, not maybe not easier, but you can pinpoint specific things that you need to work on and then go into the shed and work on them. And I think as, as early players, like we, we have all the problems. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, right. We right. have every every possible problem that you can have as an early drummer. Like we have them. Like there's no dexterity. You can't play particular things. You don't, you've yeah. no dynamics. You've no this. You know that. And yeah. then after a while, you start to you start to figure this stuff out. And you and then it's just okay. There's this thing that I need to work on, or that thing, mm-hmm. um, which is so. Talk to me about that. About how you how are you how you're identifying things that you need to work on, and and sort of what your approach is to working on them. I, I approach it much in the same, like maybe like someone who's in martial arts would approach, uh, uh, like training, um, where, because the, the instrument is so physical, I can feel those things in my body first, like just having body awareness. Like I feel tired in certain parts of my body, or I feel tension in certain parts of my body. And I ask myself the question, why? You know, why do my hands feel sore? Why do my my calves feel sore? Why does my back hurt? You know, so then then as it makes it easier to kind of have like a ballpark estimate of where the issue is. You know, mm-hmm. maybe the issue is in my posture. Maybe the issue is in like my hand placement and and just overall control of the stick. Maybe it might be in my breathing. Maybe it might be. um you know, just like how I have my drums organized, like the ergonomics of my setup and so on and so on and so forth. So that gives me a ballpark. And then once I I get into the, like the region of where the issue might be, then I narrow that down even more. What about in my hands? Am I struggling with, am I struggling with a left-hand lead because I'm right-handed or vice versa for a left-handed player? 
or am I struggling with, you know, so like a codependence or independence? And then I just try and work my way backwards from there and like really just be specific about what it is. You know, it might just be that my fingers need, you know, to be stronger or it might mean that mm-hmm. I need to I need to hold the stick a little looser than I am. Maybe I'm I'm playing too tight or, you know, uh, maybe like I said, as it relates to posture, maybe I'm slumping, maybe I'm looking down, maybe I'm looking at what I'm doing more than looking at what everybody else is doing. Like I'm not making eye contact with my fellow musicians or, mm-hmm. you know, addressing the audience. Maybe I'm just not having fun. Maybe I'm concentrating a little too hard. Maybe I'm thinking a little bit too much. So right. that kind of helps me to find the areas where I need to build. I always break things down to fundamentals, you know, single stroke rolls, double stroke rolls and flams. Everything is kind of built from those building blocks, from those cells. Mm-hmm. And so between my hands, between my hands and feet, between my feet themselves, and just all the many combinations that I can work out, I'm always trying to find those areas that kind of give me a hiccup, you know. And I and yeah. I, feel, I feel them just like a martial artist feels like their level of um, uh, deficiency in, a, in an actual sparring match or an actual exhibition match. When I'm on a gig, I'm really paying attention to how the music feels. And then I would have like moments where it's like, oh, just have like sort of like brain freezes and pauses. I pay attention to those, you know, like if mm-hmm. I go, if I go for something and if I, you know, if I don't execute it the way that I would want to, I make a mental note of that. So then when I come back to right. the shed and my personal time of practice, I say, what made me hesitate there? What? interrupted my my flow my stream of of doing and executing mm-hmm. and uh, i try and figure out how to break down those walls that will allow me um this total freedom on the instrument you know so yeah. that's that's kind of my process it gets very rudimental for me it gets very like basic for me because i feel like from that i can build my way up even after years and years and years of playing i still focus on single stroke rolls and just making them feel good and, you know, like feel good to my body, the connection between my hands and my arms, my body and back and shoulders to the the drum pad or to the snare drum or whatever it is that I'm playing, just letting it feel good to me first and then how to make it sound a certain way in the music and the time and the groove. Uh, That's always important. So, you know, when when in doubt, I focus on those things. That the, when you were talking about that, there was a few things that that stuck out of my mind, and I think that I want to ask you about, but then also talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, one, when when you're talking about, it gets very rudimental for you, and and you mm-hmm. go back to the building blocks. I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but it reminds me there's there was a coach Tex Winter uh, mm-hmm. who who coached. Um, with Phil Jackson, they won nine yeah. championships with the yeah. Bulls, and yeah. his whole thing. Everything that he did was fundamental. So they would practice bounce pass a hundred times. You know, yes. they would practice a three foot pass, a four foot pass, a five foot pass. Then they would go back and do a three foot pass. Four foot. And everyone in the beginning, they were like, "This is not like this is not going to help us win basketball games." Mm-hmm. But then when they were in the moment and they needed to do a bounce pass, they executed it perfectly. Yes. Or when they needed to do a three foot pass, they executed it perfectly. And it's like, oh. So like going back to those fundamentals. And I think that we as drummers or humans, uh, 
tend to just want to we we want to skip all of that stuff because it doesn't feel like it it's going to get us anywhere and we just want to get to like playing the chop at 150 beats per minute or whatever it is yeah um and the the other thing that that stuck out was you were saying okay why because i've you know i've i've listened to you play mm. you're from your explanation it sounds like you're analytical but I'm like, there's no way you're analyzing all that while you're playing. And it reminded me sort of of meditation where they, you know, you're meditating and you're in flow. And then if you get, you get out of that flow, they say, okay, notate that. It's okay. That's a thought. Mm-hmm. Le- and then let it pass and get back into what you're doing. Yes, and, I'm, and, yes. and you said that while you're playing, right? You're, you're like, okay, okay. Playing, I'm playing, playing. I'm in the zone. Oh, something there. Let me make a note of it real quick and then get back into the moment. Yes. Not, yes okay, let me, how am I, how am I holding my sticks or how am I, it's like, you're not doing that. No, no, not at all. Because the the guys that are playing, I'm playing with, you know, they're expecting me to to get back into that flow, you know, because we're needed just like a basketball team. It's like you, there, there are going to be, there are going to be moments, you know, we all drop sticks. We all have moments where things happen, but it's Mm -hmm. all about how you recover and get back into the game plan, get back into position. You know, um, that's that's what's been stressed upon me by the elders that really, really uh, blessed me with their insight. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. you're great, man. But, you know, something, you have a hiccup and that kind of gets in your head. You get trapped in your head. Get back out of your head and get back into the flow of the music. And, it, and right. everything will be there for you, you know. And I really believe that, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a lesson of forgiveness. It's a lesson of acceptance. You know, like in real time, it's all these different lessons that can come about from the music and from the instrument. Was that something that you you practiced live? Like, because I think we all that happens to all of us. You know, if we we miss something or you know, whether it's a change or we drop mm-hmm. a stick or something, and that can derail us for two three minutes or could yeah. be the whole show where you're like, yeah. ever since I dropped that stick, I feel like I haven't played well the rest of the night. Yeah. Uh, and I, I imagine those, those gaps or those recovery times over the years for you have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. to the point where you're like, all right, I'm out, I'm back in, I'm out, yeah. I'm back in versus like, I'm out for the the rest of the set. Yeah. Um, was that something that you, that you practice? It seems like an intangible, but, but are there any tips that you can give to, for someone who who may be affected by these things while they're playing? I think the first tip is to just get over yourself, you know, to understand that there are a million things happening in that one moment and that, you know, a lot of people will not notice. People won't notice what you don't make obvious. So it's like my anxiety about dropping a stick lessened over time when I started realizing that it's so much stuff happening right now you know, if I'm really, if I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing, my picking up another stick, that second that it takes to recover and say, oh man, I need another stick. And what I would do is that when I would drop a stick, I would just continue to play and take my time and get a stick, you know, take my time mm-hmm. and see what I can execute with one hand and two feet. See, see where my mind goes. Like, do I panic? And it's just like, oh, shoot, you know, and try and play a whole bunch of stuff. arms flailing, oh, yeah, trying to exactly. grab the stick. <laughs> no, it's like, like, take my time, reach down. And, you know, it's, it's there are exercises, too, like 
like to change between sticks and brushes. I used to do an exercise where I play four bars, change, you know, four beats and grab brushes and then play four bars. Now mm -hmm. change in three beats, change in two beats, change in one beat, you know, and that right. became like a fun thing to do. It was like, man, just changing between sticks and mallets and brushes that change, you know, just to be able to drop down and come back up with a, a different sound and a different approach. That was an exercise that I would do. And I think that that helped kind of alleviate the anxiety. So when it mm -hmm. came time to, you know, recover from things, I was like, well, I know that I can get this stick in two beats. You know, I know right. I can grab and, and it won't it won't phase me. Or I mm -hmm. know that I can execute certain things with just my left hand. If I would drop a stick with my left hand, it wasn't as bad because I'm right-handed. So the problem became dropping a stick with my right hand. You know, right. that was like the, the, you know, especially with jazz, you know, ride cymbal, <laughs> yeah. ride cymbal goes away, right? So I right. started I started practicing uh, left-hand leading and playing ride cymbal, you know, on, on the left side. And so mm -hmm. if I would drop my right stick, I play with my left side. I know I need two beats, and I recover and play with the right. So just the building of the ambidexterity kind of helped out, you know, yeah. leading leading with the left and trying to express certain things groove wise with the left hand, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that that really helped out a lot. And then you know the getting over myself to sort of like the mild if not severe ego death of it doesn't matter, you know, like. It, it matters more about how I recover as opposed right. to me holding myself to that super high standard of making no mistakes whatsoever. So that was right. a lot of like the psychological part of it, of just like tuning into what's really important, what really matters and just getting my, I guess my heart in the right place, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not trying to impress. I'm not trying to, you know, one up anyone. I think that, Ideas like that, when you when you make a mistake or when the mix, when the mistake comes, when it comes, then it's a real like ego shattering thing, which causes right. this causes more time to recover, which affects the music adversely as opposed to like I knew I was gonna drop a stick. It was only a matter of time. Now two beats and I'm back, you know, and I got it. And you know sometimes things will happen. You know I'll go a long time without having a an issue of dropping a stick, for example. And I drop a right. stick now around my friends or guys that I play with, guys that I play with, and they look at me and they just kind of smile because they probably didn't notice unless they saw the stick fly out of my hand and, you know, right. fly onto the ground, you know, and they'll look at me like, oh, wow, there's a stick on the ground and I'm playing, you know, and they'll just kind of crack a grin and then it's okay. No one has ever said, man, I can't believe you dropped the stick, you know. It's always like, <laughs> right. it's always like a, it's like a little joke. Like I saw you, you know, man, you gotta, you know, gotta keep a hold of those things or whatever, you know, just yeah. a little, a little light ribbing. So like coming down from that high horse a little bit in the mind, I think is important, you know, yeah. even before getting on stage. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, I know it's, it's not a matter of, of if something is going to happen. It's a matter of when. when. I know something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So let, let's save all, all of ourselves the suspense, right? We're not perfect. We all mm -hmm. make mistakes. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, let's get that out of the way now yeah. so that when you walk on stage, you're not you're not taken aback when you make a mistake because 
guess what? The bass player is going to make a mistake. Yep. The guitar player is going to make a mistake. All the people in the audience are going to mistake. Somebody's going to clap on one and three by, you know, right, when they shouldn't right. be. Right, <laughs> like, right, yeah. Something like no one is, uh, no one's immune to, to mistakes. So yes. I think, and it's hard. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that me is, uh, you know, I'm the same as anyone else where making mistakes is, uh, is feels like it's this, like, this monumental thing and there's a spotlight on you and everyone's like, ah, he just made a mistake. But like you said, it's like, no one's, no one's paying that close attention to your every move. And if they, and if they see you drop a stick and you recover, who cares? To me, it feels like the way that you, you've processed this in your head is like taking the power back of this situation where you're, where you're like, all right, I already know I'm going to make a mistake. So that's cool. So I got that. And then Ooh. the other side of it is like when these things happen, happen, I will move intentionally yes. and I will, I will recover intentionally. I'm not going to be frantic about it and just grabbing it. Th- I'm going to, okay, internalize it. I, I dropped a stick or I missed a change or whatever. Okay. Let me compose myself. If I need another stick, I'll just go over and grab it and just like, that'll be part of the music too. And let's just yeah. move yeah. forward. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's, I, that's just a beautiful way of, of looking at it, man. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's a healthy way for me because, you know, it's it's really helped me to be able to enjoy the moment and enjoy the people that I'm playing with and the people that I'm playing for. And, uh, you know, it's just a healthier way of looking at it. You know, longevity uh, be, being the focus. Like, if I want to do mm-hmm. this for my entire life, I've got to be gentle with myself. I have to be compassionate with myself. I have to educate myself of course and train but at the same time i have to understand that you know it's about it's about how i recover you know just like any 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 other thing you know it's about how you you know recover are you a a graceful uh recoverer you know can you recover gracefully or it does it take a lot of energy in order to recover Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree man um i know that I, I know that your father was a professional drummer while, and while you're yeah. growing up, got you involved in drums at a, at a really young age. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Was it a, was it him ushering you to the drums or was it you just seeing your dad play the drums and you're like, I got to do that because you want to do everything that, that he does because he's your dad. Yeah. It was a lot of, maybe a little bit of both columns. Um, he, he introduced me to the drums, like to the to the playing of the drums when I was very young. But even as a kid, as a as a toddler, as a baby, uh, because he played and because there were drums around and lots of instruments around, um, I just grew up with the understanding that he played this huge mechanical, like almost like a like a like a like a mecca or like a like a tank, you know, like it just seemed like larger, right. it seemed larger than life. Like his feet were connected to this and his hands were connected to this other stuff. It's all this metal and screws and bolts. And I can, I can remember, or I have been told about uh, my crawling around the drums and, you know, crawling around his feet and stuff when he would play and practice when I was young, young. And then when I was old enough to hold a stick and to play and him just really, introducing me to the instrument you know mm-hmm. um uh when i was old enough to comprehend like what it took in order to to play the drums you know i can remember him 
coming home from gigs, from sessions, and saying, okay, you know, wake up, it's time to practice. And we would sit down in front of a practice pad, and he'd give me sticks, and he would say, okay, just follow my hands, you know, and do as I do. I'm showing me single-stroke rolls and double-stroke rolls and paradiddles and flams and just kind of showing me the ropes, you know, first, like, from a very oral tradition sort of standpoint, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until I became an adult that I, I started approaching the instrument formally. But, um, yeah, he, he really opened the door uh, in a pleasant way because mm-hmm. that was something that we could connect with, you know, um, and it, it was special, you know, for us. Yeah. So, so it was it was a beautiful thing that he I felt like he trusted me with it. And uh, even to this day, I still have a strong relationship with my dad. And um, I still feel that way. You know, he he doesn't really play around me anymore. You know, right. <laughs> he kind of he says like, oh, that's you. You got it. You know, but I know he still loves the instrument. He still loves the right. music. And I, I know he has my back. You know, I know he very mm. he very much supports me in what I do. So that's awesome. You know, I, I've never stopped feeling that. And I'm really grateful for that. And I and um, it's kind of led me to the place where I want to share that with other people. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful to him for that. Yeah. Were you thinking, were you thinking as you started studying, like really studying formally and, and started playing professionally, were you thinking like, this is a career? Cause I know that like, mm. you excelled in, in science and mathematics and like, were you thinking you wanted yeah. to go a different direction or was it always drums? Drums were always like, like my love or like my, my passion. But then there mm-hmm. were a lot of other interests that I had, you know, of course, um, like I first went to college for engineering, for mechanical engineering. I've always had mm-hmm. a very strong mind and just able to to grasp things uh, in the sciences and in areas of mathematics. And, uh, you know, that became like an interest of mine. But I always was, you know, investing in and cultivating that relationship with the drums. Because I, I grew up studying more like uh, formal, like, uh, you know, orchestral uh training like i played cello for years and years and years and you know mm-hmm. i sang and sang in the choir for years um you know i wasn't like a band kid you know i right. i just i just admired it from afar and i kind of snuck into certain band classes in order to hang out with my band buddies and play right but you know i was i was kind of raised in the orchestra with that with mm-hmm. that sensitivity and that's how i learned how to read music you know that's how i learned how to you know like listen to other parts of the ensemble and like you know my listening and all that that in-depth listening um came from an orchestral standpoint so when i started to branch out in college and study the instrument formally uh a lot of stuff i was doing in in the larger orchestral uh ensembles it was like oh I get to experience this from the other side, you know, not right. as a, not as a string player, but now as a percussionist, but with those sensitivities, you know? Um, so I, I, I really value that, like loving something and keeping it going until I could study it formally, you know, investing those hours, like we talked about five or six hours, mm-hmm. literally like in a tool shed, practicing the instrument, like, that sort of secret love of it um, became important 
you know, especially now where I, I don't feel like uh, I have to create that relationship. You know, I, I spent the right. time alone with the instrument to develop that close relationship with it. And so now, mm-hmm. now that it's out in the open and I get a chance to share with other people or, you know, uh, and hope to motivate or to inspire, um, I feel like I'm not sharing specifically just as a drummer. I get to share as like more of like a multi-instrumentalist that focuses and is passionate about the drums. Yeah. How does, how has, uh, being an, a multi-instrumentalist, how has that affected your playing? Because I, I have to imagine you're playing more compositionally, you're thinking more musically versus just, you know, beats, like I, like I always say, like beats in a box kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how, how has that affected your, your approach or what, maybe I should rephrase that. What is your approach to, to playing the kit? Uh, from a from a musicality and and orchestral uh, stance, I guess. Well, I think of it like there there is melody in the drums first first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played some drums. I'm sure you have too. Where it's not so much the the number of drums, or it's not really like. Uh, uh, you know, how impressive the drum kit is, but it, like how musical it is, you know, like I got to play some round badge Gretches that a friend of mine uh, stumbled upon and got like a steel, like very rare, uh, like an original uh, 16 uh, bass drum and just the sizes and everything, the feel of the drums and the tonality uh, just really inspired me and inspired it was a group of us hanging out and inspired all of us really to play in a more melodic way um but i can remember the first time i think i played like a very nice professional level drum set and just like the in like the the tone and the quality of the sound and then Mm -hmm. you know like the breath like the the range of of tonality you know like uh, it just it it resembled more of a piano than it did anything else. It's like I can express harmony on this instrument. I can express rhythm on this instrument. You know, I can express melody. So it it made me aware. This was like maybe close to about about ten years ago. Just made me aware that the drums could do more than just groove. Even though the groove mm-hmm. is important, you know, the drums can express every area of music like the construction or composition of music melody harmony and rhythm that you can do all of it you know from the drums and then um different drummers influenced my approach like max roach like Art blakey um like philly joe jones papa joe jones you know in the jazz realm and then in other realms of music like in the gospel realm listening to drummers like marvin mcquitty calvin rogers um, and like a bunch of uh, newer guys too, you know, people who make you feel like the drums are singing, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like that feeling really uh, resonated with me from my time playing a cello and my time of singing in choir. It's like the tonality of the instrument and how how sweet it sounds, you know. Um, and so that really influenced me to have more of an approach like uh, 
trying to I, I equated the power and the the force and the the you know and all that to be like a masculine energy. And I wanted to learn mm-hmm. more about the feminine energy of the instrument, like about the touch, about the tone the tonality, about the texture, you know, and really investigating that um, you know, in jazz studies helped to learn how to touch the drum. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. I I see a lot of players who have yet to get to that point where it's like they're still it is an instrument that must be struck, but it's an instrument that is always being touched somehow. Like it is up to why, us to learn how to touch it. Why do why is that always neglected? Like I think I feel like we, all drummers learn the force first. They learn mm. how to strike the drum, learn how mm. to make noise on it. It's yeah. like very bar. It's like barbaric, masculine energy around the, you know around the kit, and then years later you realize, oh, it's actually about dynamics and touch and feel and timbre and all these other things, mm. where it it feels like those they're not they're not taught as often. We don't learn them as early on in our career. And, and I think that they're the hardest things to, to learn. Yeah. Uh, I do. Why do you think that is a combination of things? Maybe just experience like time spent with the instrument um, experience and time spent with playing with other people who will hold you mm-hmm. accountable for that. You know, it doesn't matter if, if you have a brilliant idea, if you shout it at the top of your lungs, less people will listen, you know? Um, right. And, uh, you know, just like understand, maybe life experiences altogether, just coming to a, to a place of contentment with your own soul, <laughs> you know, like understanding that the drums are not a release valve for, you know, psychological or emotional issues. I mean, I, it, it, comes down to a lot of different things, you know, because for some people, their release is to to totally be free and let go and just do whatever they want. My release is more so like I am free within this music to express myself and to share and to share in a way that is palatable. I mean, like other people want to hear what I have to say. They want to hear what I have to express on this instrument. And that has required me to exercise the the self the discipline and learn like okay I can I should be able to whisper my ideas as well as as well as scream them you know mm-hmm. I think the reason why it isn't so much taught on the onset is because there's a lot of excitement about learning how to play you know and so you know like releasing your inhibition and and, and, you know, shy kids become bold and, you know, you know, it, it's just it's just a, a, the nature of the instrument. It emboldens you and it lets you know that I can take it. You know, you hit this drum, hit right. the cymbal, you're not going to break me. It's OK. And then from there, it's like, you know, it doesn't really take that much energy to, to do this. It doesn't really take that much energy to do this. And after a while, like dialing it in and learning. It only really takes this much. You know, I had to tell myself that at a certain point, like it doesn't really take a lot of energy to make music, you know, 
Mm-hmm. It, it may take a lot of energy for me to show myself that I can do something on the drums. But if I take my time, exercise the discipline, it really doesn't take that much in order to make music with other people. Um, and uh, I, I firmly believe that the experience part is, is a big thing. There's no, there's no substitute, real substitute for experience. So being on a stage and having, you know, the other guys in the band, other cats in the band say, man, you know, that was just way too loud is, is an experience where you, you learn, like, I don't necessarily, uh, and, and these, you know, elders and mentors of mine or peers have always told me it's not what you're playing. It's just how you're playing it. Like exercise dynamics and exercise, like a story, like you want to be telling a story with that. Not every story ends, like every sentence can't end with an explanation point. You know, right. there's, some, there's some questions in there. There's some dot, dot, dots in there. There's some things that are unfinished, you know, that kind of lead you along this, this pathway, you know, this journey. You know, um, I've played a lot in clubs where it's very loud, you know, super raucousy, and a lot of people are eating and, and all that. And I found if you go in thinking, like, I'm going to overcome them with sound then it gives them more uh, leeway to speak and to talk Mm -hmm. loud and to get louder to match your intensity but as drummers we have this rare ability to really be able to set the atmosphere to create like a new atmosphere where if people are really loud to come in and play start playing with brushes and and meet them you know see where they are and allow them to come to where we are, you know, mm-hmm. and and that mm-hmm. that's true. Like for other members of the band too. Like if you got a guitarist or you know uh, bassist who's like super loud, short of telling them, which I've done before, but short <laughs> of telling them, you can just adjust yourself. You know, just control yourself. Yeah. If they can't hear you, they can't play with you, and it forces them to listen. You know, and I think yeah. that. You know, just having having that mentorship really was it for me, which, you know, can speak about that at, you know, probably take a whole nother interview to talk about mentorship and discipleship. But the idea of having mentors that you trust and people that will sit down and give you the time of day to even say Mm -hmm. anything to you and to say, hey, you know, you should work on your dynamics. You know, you should work on your approach, you know, like building into the the level of of like a solo building things you know having it start at a certain point and then allowing it to build and not being concerned about being heard everything Mm -hmm. that you're playing is being heard but you know starting it from a place that is lower in intensity as far as volume is concerned or maybe like the busyness of it you don't want to start off too busy you know you just just want to start off in a pleasant place and allow it to build to the place where you want it to go. That way, everyone right. comes along with you. Just mentorship, you know, like mentorship yeah. is a big is a big factor in that. Learning that early on. DB1 drumheads and cymbals allow all drummers to hit hard in the middle of the night without a single noise complaint. DB1 drumheads and cymbals provide the natural tone and genuine feel of an acoustic kit, but only produce 20% of the volume of acoustic heads. 
These are Evan's first drum and cymbals to include proprietary technology that allows for unmistakable and authentic feel, crack, and buzz in an acoustic kit at one-fifth the noise level. Drummers, your neighbors can sleep, your midnight jam sessions can continue, all thanks to Evans, the most technologically advanced drum heads on earth. It's time to design your dream kit. You have a sound and look in your mind's eye, and it's time to make that dream a reality. Your sound emerges from the choicest materials and is constructed using the exclusive Sonar Optimum shell measurement construction, utilizing slightly undersized shell diameters, allowing the drum head the space to float freely with unrestricted bearing edge contact. Your look emerges through the ultimate selection of veneers, hand-polished lacquers, and premium coverings to create the stunning look of your dreams. Design yours today at sq2-drumsystem.com. That's an interesting thing about mentorship. My my career totally took off when I started studying with mentors. My playing, or I shouldn't say my career, my playing just like went to a completely different level. Stuff that I never even knew that I was I was doing incorrectly and just like just the caliber of of music that I was playing just just went up tenfold and that wasn't even my doing that was just being around these people and they're like look we're going up here so you're gonna have to come up with us you know and i was by far the worst musician on the stage but they're like you bet like you got to figure it out because we're this is where we're going um i think i was i I was fortunate to be to be in that in that situation how do you recommend that people get into those situations if you know if they're if they're not playing with people who they think are challenging them, or they're not playing with people that they think are, are pulling them up to the, to the next level. Do you have, do you have advice on that? Or maybe you can speak to, to how you did it. Um, well, a good, a good thing to do, I think is always be open to not just being on stage and playing, but to check out other people that are playing and people that you admire uh, mm-hmm. people that you appreciate their playing, you know, to, to go out and, and hear them play. You know, um, I went to study drums at the University of Louisville in, in Kentucky. And then I returned to my uh, my then hometown of Indianapolis. And uh, when I first got back to Indianapolis after college, the first thing I wanted to do was to go out and, you know, to play, obviously. But I wanted to go out and check out the people who were playing and working all the time. And I, I really wanted to hear them play. I really wanted to have a chance to meet them. I wanted to, you know, just kind of check out some of the things that they were doing, the places that they were playing at, the people that they were playing with, and just kind of be in the room, you know, just listen to the mm-hmm. show and then go home and say, wow, I really was impressed by X, Y, Z, you know, and just kind of, sit with that, learn from those experiences um, until I had a chance to meet some people and say, well, you know, here's my name and this is what I, I'm here to do. And, you know, I'm, you know, looking for those opportunities. Um, but I think even before that, it was just meeting people, 
you know, become becoming friends, you know, or becoming like a, someone that they can see as a, as a positive force um, or, you know, like mm-hmm. starting off, starting off from a humble, a humble place, um, I think is a good piece of advice, you know, because there are mentors out there, but as I'm seeing is like, um, either the mentors feel like, you know, there are no people receptive to what they would have to suggest because, you know, it may step on their toes egotistically or whatever, or, you know, the young folks are just or younger or less experienced folks are just unaware of the fact that there are people doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so bridging that gap requires initiative. It, requir- it requires proactivity. And I think the biggest way to show that proactivity is to get out there and find out what's going on in your, in your own backyard, in your community, in your city. Um, and then, you know, if there's something that you really feel drawn to, to make yourself uh, uh, present with it, you know, travel, go and hear other people play. Go, you know, if you live in a small city outside of a large city, try and get in that large city as much as you can. Try and get in that big pool as much as you can, you know, because there are mentors there. There are people around that love, would love to share with someone that's up and coming or someone who's getting their bearings or someone who just has no clue whatsoever, but they mm-hmm. have a passion for it. You know, as long yeah. as you have, as long as you have that proactivity and, and the humility to go alongside it, to say, there's a lot that I can learn. I think that the mentors that you need will present themselves to you and they may not play the drums. They may play something else or they may not play anything, but they might've been, uh, and like uh, aficionado of the music their entire lives. So they know how yeah. to listen to music. Um, listening to recordings is a, is a big, uh, is a big part of it too. Like listening to, and also not just trying to emulate the lick or not trying to emulate the things that you find attractive, but trying to just take in whole, uh, the entirety of what that drummer's approach may be like, uh, my introduction to Papa Joe Jones was like that because he wasn't like uh, a huge lick sort of guy, but, right. the, but, but his, his approach to the drums and his approach to the instrument left an indelible mark on me. Um, and I consider him to be one of my teachers because of that. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the same with like Tony Williams. It's the same with so many other great drummers, uh, uh, with, uh, you know, Clyde Stubblefield is like one of my all time favorite drummers for that yeah, reason. Cause I, you know, I spent so much time listening to those, those records of him with James Brown that it's like, I feel like he's been teaching me, you know, he's been like, been like that for me, you know? Um, so, uh, that, that's the advice. My pathway to it was, was along those lines, just meeting a lot of people letting them know what my intentions are, mm-hmm. being consistent, you know, like consistently coming out to jam sessions and things like that. And just letting it be established that, you know, I may have some rough edges, but I'm very much committed to ironing, ironing them out, you know, right. And, right. and people make notice of that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that that I did, and it sounds like you did the same thing, is like just constantly showing up, right? Just like mm. just you're just there, and you're there, and you're there, and after a while, they're like, man that Greg dude's here all the time. Like, I don't know much about him, but that cat's here all the time. So that way, yeah. you know, they're either you get invited into a situation that you normally wouldn't have, or there's an opportunity there or you meet someone or something, but it's like, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a pest, but you want to be persistent. Right. And you want right. to just be like, look, man, I'm trying to learn. I'm, I'm here to soak yeah. up knowledge. I'm coming to, I'm coming to gigs or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm showing up at, at these different places um, I think that that staying power is, is extremely important. Uh, the other thing that I thought was inter- that not, you mentioned licks and how you were saying that, that, uh, Philly Joe Jones wasn't, you know, wasn't a big lick guy. And I talk about this all the time too, where I'm like, where I, I, I criticize licks a lot. Right. Okay. And I think that I, I think that I, I, uh, miscategorize that a little bit because I criticize licks where people take a lick and then they just drop it into the music where it doesn't belong. It doesn't right. fit. It's just like, uh, I think Calvin Rogers said it. He was like, he was like, people are just copying and pasting. Right. He's like, yeah. I'm going to take this lick and I'm going to put it in this musical situation that doesn't work. But then you look at a guy like Steve Gadd, right? Steve Gadd has sure. his licks, right? Yeah. Like he has his thing, but he can play yeah. it inside out upside down like backwards he can make it fit musically he, he makes it he makes it work with the music and i'm like okay if you want to go down that road and do that that's perfect to me right yeah. but just copying yeah. and pasting these licks into a non-musical setting or or just where it's like it's like you and i having this conversation and then me just saying a bunch of big words that don't fit don't that don't even yeah. make any sense right and you're like well, yeah why'd you why'd you just say that Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, everything is music, you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. the biggest challenge is not what to play, but what not to play, you know. Like if it doesn't, if it doesn't require it, then it's okay. And I've had some, again, like some experiences playing with certain people where they don't want any licks whatsoever. And if they want right. anything, they want it to be like period specific like we're playing 1930s uh you know jump jazz so don't put anything in here that isn't in that vein or right. this is a this is a they want no linear crossovers <laughs> yeah no no none of that you know it's not about reinventing the wheel right it's about like operating within uh the the realm of of what we agree upon and that's been a challenge and also mm-hmm. like very, very rewarding because it adds to the bag, you know, like I think that we start out with like a, a limited bag of our of our chops, of our licks, things that we kind of resort to when things get a little hairy or or maybe when we feel super uh, expressive about a certain idea or a part of a music. It's like, OK, I'm going to go in my bag. If I only have five things in my bag, then I'm probably going to not have the right thing or the right moment. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to have, you know, I'm going to have to tailor it a little bit or edit it a little bit to make it fit. But, you know, I I just, I'm like you, I don't want to sacrifice the music for the sake of me, you know, getting a lick off. Instead, I right. think like just 
playing the music, responding to the other musicians, kind of listening to what they're doing and maybe emulating some things that they're expressing and just kind of staying true to the music, true to the song goes way further than being able to superimpose a bunch of licks on top of, of music just to show my proficiency or just to show my talent level, things like that, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm bored or, you know, maybe that's like a general thing. Like I'm I'm bored and I feel like I need to up the up the situation. So I'm going to pull whatever out of my bag and execute at the expense of the music. I don't think anything has to be at the expense of the music ever. Mm-hmm. You know, like it like the music has enough space for all of that to happen. So, yeah. I I really believe that and and through trial and error, you know, again, just like, man, I didn't really have to do that, you know, right. And the next time I play, it's like, okay, keep in mind what's really important, what to focus on and just, you know, build from there. Yep. I, I think it's, (laughs) it's so hard sometimes, maybe not for you, but, but I think for me, uh, it's hard and like I've had these, you know, I've done how many of these uh, of these uh, episodes and we've talked about this and I preach the same thing, but it's yeah. so hard sometimes not to just play this thing that feeds your ego yeah, and doesn't do. And, and it's like whether someone's in the room that you're trying to impress or that you just have this thing that you I don't know what it is, but once in a while you get that urge and most of the time I can hold it back, but a lot. But sometimes I don't. And then I'm like, why did it's like after you do it, you're like, why? It's almost like saying something in public and you're like, I can't believe I just said that out loud. Yeah, right? exactly. And you're exactly. like, why did I just play that? I knew I told myself not to play it. I still <laughs> played it. Yeah. You know, I, I feel that sometimes when it's like other drummers, because I because I've had a history of really caring about what other people think and also vying strongly for the acceptance of other people. I think that understanding that that acceptance is there mm-hmm. uh, has taken time and experience to really grasp that, to know that. And then caring about the thoughts of other people is like, you know, like not caring about what other people think is like a, a very cardinal rule, not just for um, not just for music, but I think just living life you know, mm-hmm. live your life, live your life to how you feel it to be within your integrity and your character to do, you know, and yeah. try not try not to let other people and other things take anyone, me, you, anyone off of our square. Like, this is who I am and this is my mission. And, and like, this is what I'm trying to do. This is my goal. Uh, that has been like a beautiful revelation for me, you know, like to just mm-hmm. understand that the acceptance is already there. I don't have to, I don't have to try for that. It's more about just allowing myself to know and, and accept the fact that I am, I'm loved. Right. And I'm trusted with this music, with this responsibility. And, uh, yeah, you know, everything is okay. You know, that, the music is okay. The music is okay as it is. I don't need to reinvent anything to make it palatable, you mm-hmm. know, because as many people as maybe maybe looking forward to a reimagining of something, there are equally, if not more, people who are interested in hearing something 
the way that it's always been, you know, yeah. they can have their, they can have their moment of nostalgia. So, you know, seeing the difference between that has been great, you know, playing for a different uh, types of audiences has been great, you know, playing for kids, playing for octogenarians, you know, playing for professionals, playing for other artists, you know, and being able to maintain that this is who I am, like consistently throughout it, where I don't, I don't have to become something different. I don't have to sound like someone else. I can just be myself and it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's better mm -hmm. than fine. Yeah. And I, I think the, the one thing to keep in mind when you're saying this for, for people listening, and I, I believe it to be true that this, the acceptance that you talk about and, and the self-love and, and understanding of, of that we're all, you know, that we're all uh, going to make mistakes and things like that. That's a practice in and of itself, just like a yeah. meditation practice or practicing behind the kit or anything else. I don't, I don't think no one's going to walk on stage one day and all of those things are just going to be gone. Right there. Right, that's a, right. that's a thing that, that, that you take time to practice uh, every day when you're on the bandstand or just going through sort of a, a mental uh, exercise of, of, being forgiving, being, yeah. being, uh, you know, being open to those, those, those failures and, and things like that. I think that's a really important thing because I can see, I could see people getting frustrated of being like, they listen to this podcast. Right. And then they're like, all right, I need yeah. to know that, that I need to, you know, have, have some self love and be open to these failures and things like that. And then they walk on the bandstand tonight, they make these mistakes, they beat themselves up over it and they're like, oh, it's never going to work for me. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just mm. try to recover, maybe just try to recover a little bit faster mm. or try to, you know, be a little bit more accepting. And over time, it's just like, like I said, it's just like meditating or anything else. Over time, you start to realize and then you're like, oh, you know, like I'm not as critical as I was a year ago on myself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know? It's a beautiful process, you know, especially if you're thinking longevity wise, like I want to do this my entire life, not necessarily in the same way. But I want the music to have this passionate place in my life. Uh, you know, it's about it becomes less about trying and more about allowing. You know, when you try mm -hmm. to eat right, you try to eat right. And that becomes like a struggle, a battle. Right. Because there's all this fast food and there's all this junk out here. But when you allow yourself to eat right, you make conscious decisions so that you don't have so much of a struggle. You say, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to buy the fruits and green leafy vegetables and all that and the grains and all those things that I know are good for me and I'll have them easily accessible to me at home so then I can eat them as much as I want. And that way, if I do decide, oh, I want to have a McChicken sandwich or if I want to go and have a, an Oreo McFlurry, you know, then it's not as convicting. I don't feel like I'm... right. You know, I'm always doing that or anything like that. I feel like, oh, I'm giving myself a treat, you know, which mm -hmm. is all right. You know, so it's, it's about allowing things to happen, like like your body, for example. If you try to have a bowel movement, you can mess up so much with your body. Like you yeah. can mess up so many internal organs and things like that. And it's, it probably won't work, you know, like if you really try. Mm -hmm. But when you allow yourself to do it, it's a whole different ball game. You know, your body knows what to do and you just and you allow it to happen. And much is the same when it comes to playing. It's like 
allowing things to happen and making it so that that allowance is is you facilitate allowing it. You know, you facilitate uh, an experience for yourself. You know, like we practice so that we can facilitate uh, a pleasurable experience for ourselves when we do go up to play or we Mm -hmm. meditate so that we can do the same and not just with playing, but multiple areas of our life as many are as uh, applicable. So it's like allowing things to happen is is has been a game changer for me, like trusting Mm -hmm. in myself enough to say, you know what, all I have to do is allow this to come to come forward. And, yeah. and be accepting of it when it does come forward. You know, even even I would say for entry level people who are just getting that relationship established with the instrument, like allowing yourself to learn, you know. So what does that mean? That means like you are the teacher. You are the, the test grader. You're the judge. And how do you want to judge yourself? How do you want to grade yourself? How do you want to coach yourself through things? Do you want to be dogmatic? Or do you want to be compassionate? You know, like mm-hmm. what type of what type of teacher are you looking for? And then being that, you know, like being that teacher to yourself. Um, yeah. That's been like a huge revelation for me because it's allowed me to to put down those those things that I was the the, the barriers of self deprecation and the barriers of judgmentalism. It's like, man, you know, if I don't if I don't perform at a certain level, I'm in trouble. You know, I need to. Do, it's not really about that. It's about yeah. understanding that, man, I'm going to I'm going to get this, you know, this is going to work. And when it comes together, it'll come together in a holistic sort of way. Yeah, man, that's I agree. I agree. You and I are on are on the same page. Tough to easy conceptually tough to uh, to implement. But I think I think yeah. if you're if you're you're kind to yourself, if you are if you are patient with yourself, forgiving and just understand that it's a, it's a practice and it, it, it'll take a little while. Uh, but like you said, it's a beautiful journey. I think once you, once you arrive there, uh, or maybe you never arrive, but once you've, you've gotten closer to that destination, um, that it's, that's a good place to be for sure. Absolutely. It's a beautiful place. You know, it's, a, it's a loving place and it's a powerful place too, because mm-hmm. I've, I've found that you're able to, I'm able to just, you know, express and, and, express out of a freedom you know there's no, there's no judgment there there's nothing impeding my progress so yeah i'm grateful for it yeah well i'm grateful for you coming on this podcast and uh and Thank sharing you. all and sharing all this and your your wisdom and and your experience and and i love the i love the way that you're just an open book and, and you're very candid about about things that you've worked on or struggled with or or journeys that you've gone on to uh to try to get to a different place or or to try to uh continue to you know just improve yourself and your craft and things like that so i truly appreciate that uh, where's the best place for people to follow you they want to see you they want to see you live or or where mm-hmm. where can they uh where can they find all that info well, uh, I'm present on all social media platforms on Facebook and uh, Instagram. I have my own website as well. It's gregartreyjr.com. Um, I play uh, a lot in the Chicagoland area. I also travel a lot too. Um, I think the most uh, the upcoming things that I have, I have some shows this week. I have some traveling coming up uh, with some artists uh 
traveling with Thomas Allen to Cafe Vivace, the Minton's Playhouse here pretty soon. I think Minton's is at the top of August. Cafe Vivace is at the top of uh, July um, or um, the top of um, uh, at the end of July, early August. So those two are kind of close together. And um, um, people can find me live in Chicago playing at like the Jazz Showcase, playing at uh, Andy's, as well as just a, a bunch of other places that are in the city. Um, I also play a lot in Indianapolis at the Jazz Kitchen there. You know, I play in New York, different places. I travel quite a bit, so I I, I like that. I like to bounce around, and I work yeah. with a bunch of different players. Um, I work a lot with um, Richard Johnson. He's a great uh, pianist that's here uh, now in Chicago. Um, and I also work with uh, a whole wealth of vocalists and things like that. So I'm always, I feel like I'm always playing. So feel free to look me up. Uh, on Instagram or on Facebook and follow me. And, you know, there's usually a lot of promotional things I'll share about upcoming events. Um, but I'm very active in the city of Chicago. So for my fellow Chicagoans, just, you know, come out. You might you might catch me by luck or whatever. If you, if you follow me online, then, you know, you'll catch me out playing. But I, I play it quite a bit. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, I'm very... As as uh, as open and candid as I am in this interview, I, I, it doesn't change. You know, this is who I am. Uh, I really appreciate you, Nick, for extending the offer to me uh, to sure. be a part of this. And I I really hope that this reaches as many people as possible. Instead of talking about you know things that could serve me, I I hope that this provides insight uh, and information to those who may have these questions. And, and, you know, help them overcome their roadblocks and, and strongholds and things like that as well. Uh, but, um, you know, I look forward to meeting and, uh, you know, developing relationship with as many people as I can. So, you know, come out and, and support and, and, uh, and, you know, I'll be sure to, to share as much as I can, you know. Uh, but I, I hope to do this again or do something like Likewise. this again, you know. Um, and uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to share. Me too, man. Thank you for, uh, like I said, for coming on. I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the wisdom, the uh, the candor, and hopefully we can do this in person sometime soon. Okay, cool. Good deal. Greg, thanks Great. again, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, enjoy your, uh, your relaxation at your spa day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You too, Nick. Enjoy that beautiful LA weather, man. I will. I will. And I'll talk to you soon. Yes. There you have it. That's Gregory Archery Jr. And you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 664. And if you haven't already, do me a favor. You can leave a rating or a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute. And that just lets people know that uh, this is a good podcast. And hit me up uh, on Drummers Resource. Tag me wherever you're listening to this. I'd love to see it. And like I said, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, hit me up. I want to I want to hear from you. You can email me, Nick, at drummersresource.com or uh, hit me up on social. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummers Resource is produced by Revoice Media. 
Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.